everyone, and welcome back to Prepare the Way Extras. My name is Carol, and I'm glad you're joining us today as we are in the middle of our series, Why Israel? And today is part three on the Abrahamic Covenant, or the covenant God makes with Abraham. So if you are just tuning in, please be sure to go back and listen to parts one and two, as those episodes actually lead into this one. You know, if there's one topic that is always seems to be like a point of controversy or where people have very strong opinions, it's definitely on the topic of Israel and the Jewish people. I have taught on this many times throughout the years, and that is one of the common things that I find is within the body of Christ, especially, there is great disagreement and a lot of opinions. And so I think the reason why is you have some churches who widely support Israel and they actually teach their congregation on topics related to Israel. And they also pray fervently for Israel and the Jewish people. And then there is a large number of churches, probably a majority actually, that breathe not a word about Israel ever. And so what we find when people take our Bible studies is that there is quite a group of people, a large group of people, that lack understanding on this topic. And not just this topic, but topics as it pertains to multiple things in the Old Testament, especially on the power of covenants. Now, hopefully today at the end of this episode, our goal is to maybe inspire you to want to start digging into this topic deeper yourself. That maybe there's something in this message that really triggers something that um, is just inspiring for you. And so that's, that's what our hope is. That as you look at some of these things that God has put in place from way back when, you see how important it is, even still today, for believers. You know, if I can just take you back a number of years when I went to Israel for the first time, there was something that happened to me there in the very beginning of my trip that I was not expecting. And it was this overwhelming sense that I was home. And I have talked to a lot of different people who have traveled to Israel over the years, and they've all expressed similar things. The moment you step foot into that land, you feel like you're home. And when you leave the land to go back to whatever country you came from, you feel a bit of homesickness. And so the question is, why? Why is that? I think today when we learn about the Abrahamic covenant, we might be able to understand the answer to that question a little better, especially if you're someone out there who knows what I'm talking about. You've been to Israel and experienced that feeling for yourself. Well, I think in order to understand this covenant God made with this his friend Abraham, we have to start kind of basic, like in understanding the word covenant, because so many people out there misunderstand this word and confuse it with other words. So we're going to peel back the layers just a little bit, talk about what covenant means in scripture, and then bring the Abrahamic covenant into that. And I think you'll have a better understanding at how powerful the covenants in scripture are once you take a look at some of these things. Now, as I mentioned, there are covenants in the Bible, covenants that God makes with certain individuals. And I don't know if you've noticed, but he makes a covenant with Noah. He makes the covenant with Abraham. And so people call it the Abrahamic covenant. 
He makes a covenant with Moses, and so people call it the Mosaic Covenant. There's a covenant with David, and people call it the Davidic Covenant. You may have heard that. And then we have the New Covenant with Jesus through the Holy Spirit. And something to point out for you to take note of when you're reading through these different covenants are a couple of different things in particular. First of all, in each of the covenants, God makes a promise. He makes a promise of some sort to each of these individuals. And it doesn't just necessarily impact that individual, but it typically impacts mankind or their descendants. The other thing that he does in these covenants is he sets an expectation. There is an expectation that people must obey what God says. And that is true all the way through to the new covenant with Jesus when we are commanded to follow him. But there is also a sign that accompanies the covenants. God places a sign within each covenant as a mark of that promise. And so, for example, with the promise or the covenant he makes with Noah, he gives him the sign of the rainbow, which we still see today. His promise that he will not flood the earth again through a flood. Right? So we still see that rainbow. The sign that he makes with David is actually a house. It is an eternal house because through David will come the eternal kingdom, will come the eternal priesthood. And so we see that in the Davidic covenant. And in the new covenant with Jesus, the sign is the Holy Spirit. He is evidence of this new covenant. So covenants have several attributes about them. And since we do not hear this word covenant very much, the word that we tend to bring alongside of it in order to help our understanding is the word contract. But honestly, friends, contract is much different than covenant also. Because contracts, by their very definition, come with conditions oftentimes. But the covenants we're talking about in Scripture, those are about defining relationships, That's what makes the scriptural covenants unique and that they actually tell a story and they provide the framework for the redemption of mankind. Every one of them. It's pretty interesting. And the other thing about the scriptural covenant is that it is entirely made by one party to bless the other. And in the covenants that I mentioned, that one party is God. And a good picture of that today that we see in present day life is the covenant of marriage, especially if you attend a Christian wedding. Keep in mind, even though we're in the 21st century, marriage is still the covenant that we enter into with God because marriage was God's idea, even though people have changed it dramatically. But when he enters into the covenant of marriage through a specific type of ceremony, he blesses the union of a man and a woman and is intimately involved in their relationship. And that is why he lays out in scripture the requirements of how a wife is to treat a husband, how the husband is to treat a wife, and how they're both accountable to somebody. The wife is going to be held accountable by the husband, but the husband is going to be accountable by God. And so God will bless it, but they must obey how they live within that marriage covenant in order to keep harmony. Make sense? Well, that is the model for all these covenants. There is something that 
God is going to bless within this framework of relationship. But we have to do our part as it pertains to obedience. Noah did, Abraham did, Moses did, and onward. So in this covenant that is made entirely by one party to bless the other, the other party has either two choices when entering that covenant. They can either accept the terms of the covenant or reject them. But the terms of the covenant cannot change. God will not change his terms. We either accept his terms or we don't. That's why we also make wedding vows in a Christian wedding ceremony. Wedding vows that will line up scripturally with that relationship of a husband and a wife. And we're in no position to change them in his eyes. Make sense? Okay. So God makes covenants. He makes these agreements, these promises with people, because the whole purpose is about this relationship with him, this framework that he's building out. And the other thing to note is that not only does he make them, he keeps them. And then this third part is super important. He makes them, he keeps them, and then he swears by them. And he swears by them by his own name. Don't miss this. You see, today when people swear, we tend to swear by power greater than ourselves, right? Which we shouldn't swear anyway. But you'll hear people say, oh, I swear to God, dot, dot, dot. Or by God, I'm going to dot, dot, dot. Or I swear on so-and-so's grave, dot, dot, dot. That's the pattern. People are swearing by a power greater than themselves, even death in some cases. But God, you see, has nobody higher to swear by. There's no one higher than him. So he swears by himself. That's why when you read in your Bible passages that'll say stuff like, by myself, I have sworn. And that's exactly what he does. And that's exactly what he did with his friend Abraham in the covenant he made with him. It's referenced in Isaiah. It's referenced in the book of Hebrews. It's referenced in Exodus and Psalms and Genesis and I think Luke where it specifically talks about how God has sworn by himself with phrases like, by myself, I have sworn. I have taken an oath to. Um, um, uh, The covenant that I've made with Abraham and Isaac and an oath to Jacob. You know what I'm saying? So this is what he's doing. So he's not only making a covenant, he guarantees to keep the covenant because he is swearing by no other name but his own. By myself, I have sworn and the word has gone out of my mouth. And once God releases words out of his mouth, they are binding. Okay? So what is his promise? This covenant that he swears by himself to see through for this man, Abraham. Well, let's take a look at it. First of all, he calls to Abraham when he's in Ur, which we've talked about that in episode two, when they lived in Ur, which was in modern day Iraq. He's calling to to Abraham and of course his wife, Sarah, and he speaks some promises to them. And what were those promises? Well, in Genesis 12, it says, we read the first part. It says, go yourself out of your land from your relatives and from your father's house to a land which I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. 
So God chooses Abraham and Sarah essentially to become parents of a new people through whom God would reach all the families of the earth. It's quite an astounding passage, of course, because remember, we said Abraham is 75. They're both old. Can you imagine? And so he speaks for us these promises, this covenant, and it's made entirely by him to bless them and their descendants forever. And notice something interesting in this passage of scripture, the six times that God says, I will, I will, I will. Sounds a lot like a marriage ceremony, doesn't it? When we say, I do. So for Abraham, God is doing what? He is promising him he's going to do, make him a great nation, that he's going to bless that nation, that Abraham's name is going to be great. And then there's also this surety that God gives in his protection of Israel in such that whoever blesses Israel will be blessed and whoever curses Israel will be cursed. As many have discovered for themselves over the years, my friends, you do not want to fall on the wrong side of Israel. But where will this nation live? Well, we covered this part in episode one. God made a promise to Abraham to give him land, land in the center of the world. And that land in the Bible is ultimately referenced as the promised land, which ultimately is Israel. So God's promising Abraham land. And another way of looking at that is to understand that God gave them, Abraham and his descendants, the title deeds to this land. And later in scripture, you read the exact boundaries that God actually gave, which my friends is way larger than the Israel you see today. And because this is a covenant, it's permanent in God's eyes. It doesn't matter what anybody else says today, regardless of what people think. In God's eyes, this covenant will hold forever. This is his land that he has promised to his people. And he is going to see to it that the whole scope of that land, the exact boundaries he gives in scripture, will be fulfilled one day because God doesn't break covenant and he swears it by his own name. So he gives him this land. But he didn't just give the title deed of this land to Abraham. He gave it to his descendants. And do you ever wonder, I know I did for years, and now I understand why, I think I understand why at least, why this land is always in the news, why Israel is always in the news. Well, maybe perhaps God uses it on a regular basis to serve as a reminder that he is still in control. Regardless of threats that this nation faces internally, because what nation isn't corrupted to some point or facing its own internal struggles, right? But he also sees to it that he stands in the gap for threats that they may face externally as well. He's watching over his word to perform it because that's what he does. Then in Genesis 15, God says to Abraham, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to inherit it. Have you ever been given something in an inheritance? Can someone take it from you? Well, this is the point. 
God is the testator, and Abraham is the recipient of this inheritance, he and his descendants forever. No one will be able to take this from them. So this is important to understand, because in your Bible, you are going to read stories where you're going to scratch your head, where God is going to appear very angry with Israel, and rightly so. They entered into great rebellion with him and wouldn't listen to any of the prophets he sent their way. They were burning their children into the fire. They were embracing pagan practices. They completely, um, uh, the, uh, the temple, they brought in the temple prostitutes and the priesthood was corrupt. I mean, this nation was crumbling from within and God was warning them. And so you read stories of this up and down relationship You know, God warns them, then he finally gets mad at them, and then he has to cast some of them into other nations in order to teach them a lesson. But through it all, he always kept a remnant, a remnant that he would bring back into the land. And that's what happened. One group, one remnant that was in Babylon came back into the land, built it back up, and then they lived there. They continually lived there until, of course, the time of Jesus. What happened was, Jesus predicted the destruction of the temple. And in 70 AD, the temple was destroyed by the Romans. They took many people slaves. They stole the temple treasures and they used it to build things in Italy and Rome, right? And then in around 130 AD, the people who were left revolted and they lost that revolt and the remaining of the people were cast out of the land. For 2,000 years. Well, this land, my friends, that they were out of for 2,000 years was returned to them in 1948 after they were kicked out of it, after they were enslaved, scattered through the nations. And what happened when they were out of that land? Well, the land was like a dust bowl because that's what was prophesied. If you're not in the land, it's, it's not going to be like a thriving land. But either way, empire after empire conquered this land and trampled this land. You had the Romans, the Greeks, the Seleucids, the Mamluks, the Ottoman Turks, right? The British, right? And all of these nations came and went until one day a miraculous thing happened. In May of 1948, Israel became an independent state after they were recognized by the United Nations of all people, the people who persecute them today. But they were recognized by the United Nations as a country in its own right in the Middle East. And David Ben-Gurion, that's who the airport's named after, the head of the Jewish agency at the time, proclaimed the establishment of the state of Israel on May 14th, and President Harry Truman recognized it as as a state on that very same day also. God is keeping his covenant. All of those empires, none of them are in existence today. And yet after 2,000 years, after all these empires reigning and ruling in this land, God brings little old Israel back. People who lost their identity, lost their temple, lost their customs, lost everything. It's a miracle in and of itself because they not only regained their homeland, but they regained their heritage, its customs, its laws, its language, the Hebrew language. This has never happened to any nation ever in history, my friends, ever. And why? 
because it belongs to them. Whether you agree with it or not, it doesn't matter. God has sworn it by his name. And I don't know about you, again, I am not going to try to find myself on the wrong side of God in this situation. What else did God promise? So he's got him this land, and we have evidence today that he is keeping this promise. But what else did he promise? Well, he promised to give Abraham descendants, that there would always be descendants, actually, that there would always be descendants of Abraham on the earth. How is that possible? It is such a profound promise. He brought Abraham outside in Genesis 15 and said, look now toward heaven and count the stars if you're able to number them. So shall your descendants be. Well, my friends, I live in Colorado and we are close to 8,000 feet. We're above the smog and all of that. And I'm telling you, the stars out here are incredible because it's dark up here in the mountains. So you can see them so beautifully. Thousands upon thousands of stars. So when you read a passage like that and then you're thinking, he'll have all of these stars or all of these descendants more in number than the stars. It's, it's a big one to get your head around. How is it possible? Well, there's only one answer and it's through Jesus Christ. See, I don't know if you're familiar with some of the things Paul writes to the Galatians, but let me point out something very specific. When he's writing to the Galatians in chapter three, he mentions some very specific things pertaining to Abraham. That Christ has come and redeemed us from the curse. We know that. So that why? So that the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles in Christ Jesus. That means everybody else that wasn't Jewish. Blessings of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles in Christ Jesus that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. What is he talking about? Well, to Abraham and his seed, Paul says, promises were made. Who is this seed of Abraham that Paul is talking about? Jesus. Jesus is the seed of Abraham. Therefore, when they're talking about the blessings of Abraham, they are being passed on to us through Jesus because we are now grafted in to this story through the power of the Holy Spirit. Isn't that incredible? How can his descendants be more than in number than the stars in the night sky? By becoming, by through born again believers, through the power of the Holy Spirit, through faith in Jesus Christ, we are now descendants of Abraham through him. We are now born again into the family of God. And that's what so many of the epistles in the New Testament try to hit home for us. We are born into the family of God. And that family includes the family of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Because their faith was accounted to them as what? Righteousness. They too are saved. This is why I imagine when we visit the Holy Land, it feels like home and you don't want to leave. Because we are now joined to the Abrahamic covenant through Jesus Christ. Isn't that incredible? Digest that for just a moment. So this is the covenant. He promises him land and he promises him descendants. And in return, God expected two things. Number one, he expected that every male Jew would be circumcised as a sign that they were born into the covenant. Why? because it shows that they are set apart to God. They're different. Well, what happens to us, my friends? 
What is the sign for us that we are born into this new covenant and now part of the Abrahamic covenant? The sign of the new covenant is the Holy Spirit. Therefore, we are not physically circumcised, but we receive the circumcision of the heart, right? Romans 2.29, we receive a pure heart. We are now set apart for God. We are to come out from among them to be what? Separate. Just as the Israelites were set apart, so too are we. And what was the second thing God expected? That Abraham would obey God and do everything he told him. God expects this in his covenants, no less than with Jesus, the covenant with Jesus. What are believers commanded to do? Follow his commands. If you love me, keep my commands. John chapter 14, 15. Read 1 John. He talks all about that. Or what about where Jesus says, um, if you want to come after me, you have to deny yourself, take up your cross and what? Follow me. Follow me. Crucify yourself to this world. We are now crucified with Christ. It is no longer we who live, but Christ who lives in us. And so we are now living a life of obedience to him by following the commands in his word. You see, my friends, covenants are at the very heart of our gospel, but they're also the very heart of the Bible. They're about God's relationship with us. Like we said in the very beginning, these Covenants are a framework of that relationship. And on the basis of this covenant, God said something very important. He said, I will be your God and you will be my people. And guess what? That phrase is repeated all the way through the Bible until the very end in the book of Revelation at the very tail end. There it is again. I will be their God and they shall be my people. And now he is talking about not just Abraham and the descendants, but the redeemed of the Lord. This is Revelation 21.3. Do you see how powerful God's covenants are? They are forever. You see, the truth of the matter is God married himself to this particular family. That's why he uses marriage language. And therefore, he married himself to their descendants, which includes us, the church, That's why you hear the I wills in the Abrahamic covenant like a marriage vow. That's why you hear this in other covenants. For example, the group that came out of Egypt led by Moses, they were all descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel with the addition of some Egyptians. God passed on to them the promise of Abraham because he was what? Taking them on a long journey to the promised land, the land of Israel, the place he promised Abraham and his descendants. And he speaks forth the covenant in Exodus chapter 19, four through six, where he says, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be to me a special treasure to me above all people for all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. God states the covenant and the people had two choices. They can accept the terms or reject them. Well, thankfully in verse eight, they accepted them and they said, all the Lord has spoken, we will do. In other words, I do or we will, just like a marriage ceremony. And this became the covenant of Moses or the Mosaic covenant. 
And then you have the laws that are given on how to live within that covenant, right? Just like in marriage, we say, I do first, then we follow the Bible's instruction for how to live in a healthy marriage. Well, that's what they did with Moses. This is why, my friends, when you read your Bible, it says, God says, I am married to Israel. That's when you read the Song of Solomon, you will understand it from the proper perspective now as God's marriage covenant to Israel, to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, but to all the descendants. Or when he says, you are mine, this is marriage language. Read Ezekiel 16.8 or Deuteronomy 7 or Jeremiah 3 and many more passages because they reveal God's covenant love with his people Israel. This is why he will not divorce her, no matter how angry he gets with her, because he's in covenant. When she played that harlot, as I explained earlier, he didn't thoroughly cast her away. He was angry for a period of time, but he promises in scripture that he will restore her. And that is what we are witnessing today, their full and complete restoration, my friends. And notice Israel is leading the world in technology, in agriculture, in arts and entertainment, in a whole host, in medicine, in a whole host of things. God is fulfilling his word, the promise of his covenant. And this is also important for us because as believers, we are referred to as the bride of Christ. Revelation speaks of the marriage supper of the Lamb. Jesus paid the price. He made a promise to us of inheritance that Peter so eloquently speaks forth, calling it an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled, reserved in heaven for us, being kept by the power of God. Though having not seen him, we love him, right? And he commands us to do what? To follow him, follow his ways, do the same thing as Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Israel, Moses, David, the prophets, all of them. We're all to obey him. That's what it means to follow the Lord, obey his word, live righteously, be the light in the world, be an example of his kingdom on earth. This is why believers are given almost the identical covenant promise God gave to Moses in Exodus 19. Have you noticed? Pull up Exodus 19, pull up 1 Peter 2, and compare these side by side. Well, first of all, Peter starts talking about living stones and a holy priesthood. But starting in verse 9, he says, You are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people. He is repeating the Mosaic covenant, but only now it's different. It's actually possible to actually live and be obedient to this covenant through the power of the Holy Spirit now, who has rended our hearts, who has circumcised our hearts, who is going to be our own personal teacher, who is going to be our helper in order to live out that life of obedience in covenant with God. That is what Peter is reciting almost verbatim in 1 Peter 2, verses 9 and 10. We are now a people of God that come through faith in Jesus, from whom all blessings flow, even the blessings of Abraham. In his seed, Abraham's seed, which includes Jesus, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Isn't this incredible? 
And shouldn't we be teaching this in our churches, please? So God's covenant with Abraham is still in place, my friends. He, it is still in place by Peter's words. We are now part of this beautiful blessing, part of a family who numbers more than the stars in the sky. We have a land that has become the headquarters of our king. Because when Jesus, at Jesus as king, he is going to do what? He is going to set up his holy throne at the end of days in Jerusalem. This is going to be home base. That's why when we go to the land, it feels like home. And regardless of what kind of family you have come from, good or bad, healthy or not healthy, whatever, the beautiful thing that we have through Jesus Christ, through the new covenant in Jesus Christ, is we are now part of this incredible heritage, part of the family of God. And that family, my friends, you talk about uh, genealogy, it traces us all the way back to the, very, to the very, very beginning. And now we get to look forward to the day when our Lord is going to take up his holy throne and he is going to be based out of this land of promise, this land of the covenant, our eternal homeland. I don't know about you, but that is incredibly exciting to me. So there you have it, the Abrahamic covenant. I hope it blesses you today, and I'm glad you joined me, and I look forward to our next time together. We're almost done with this series, so hang tight. We're almost there. Have a great day.